Today on Rolling with New York Mike. I know it's been 21 years since the World Trade Center, but it didn't end. It hasn't ended. We had 20 years that we were in Afghanistan. And for those 20 years, we staved off, the most part, attacks on America. Yeah, there were attacks here and there. There was, there was terrorism. There was Islamic terrorism, a, a word which never left the mouth of Barack Obama. Never left the mouth of anybody in his administration, including his vice president, Joe Biden. So for all those years, never calling a spade a spade, never looking at what was going on and defining it. It's hard to fix a problem if you never want to define that problem. Welcome to Rolling with the most patriotic man I know, my husband. And now his podcast, Rolling with New York Mike. Get on the ride. Okay, it's Rolling with New York Mike. I'm New York Mike, and this is take two. (laughs) Yeah, so we've been having some issues with equipment and microphones and headsets, and we're going to get it right. I promise you we're going to get it right. Today's podcast, the one I did earlier today, just didn't come out right. So we got a redo going on here. And um, hopefully it'll, it'll be worthy of the day. The day is September 12th, 2022. Ten years since Benghazi. That's right. Everybody knows that 9-11-01 was the World Trade Center. 9-11-12 was Benghazi. But we lost two of the, the bravest and greatest Americans we ever had. Glenn Doherty and Tyrone Woods, former Navy SEALs on September 12th. Why? Because they may have started the battle on the 11th. They were on the rooftop of the embassy in in, uh, Benghazi, Libya, and they were holding off. They were holding off the Al-Qaeda attackers uh, for hours, killed a lot of them. I mean, they died in the heat of battle. They definitely died with their swords in their hand. And they died at like four or five o'clock in the morning. And that was on September 12th. So keep it in mind, 10 years. I know it's been 21 years since the World Trade Center, but it didn't end. It hasn't ended. We had 20 years that we were in Afghanistan. And for those 20 years, we staved off, the most part, attacks on America. Yeah, there were attacks here and there. There was, there was terrorism. There was Islamic terrorism, a, a word which never left the mouth of Barack Obama. Never left the mouth of anybody in his administration, including his vice president, Joe Biden. So for all those years, never calling a spade a spade, never looking at what was going on and defining it. It's hard to fix a problem if you never want to define that problem. And for some reason, they never wanted to. They never wanted to call Islamic terrorism what it was, Islamic terrorism. But certainly after Donald Trump got elected... That was the end of it. So what's going to happen now? After 20 years, and by the way, in 20 years, our forces in Afghanistan did an amazing job. Yeah, we lost 2,400 plus warriors. We did. And that's too many. But it's like 103 a year. And we lose more than that in training exercises here within the continental United States every year. Every year. We lose more than 100. We lose 300, 400. And I'm not making light of the loss of one life. 
in battle, in training, or in any other situation. I love everyone who serves this country. I don't care about any particular. I don't care about their politics. I don't care about their color. I don't care their sexual orientation. I don't ask that question. They wear the uniform. They wear it proudly. They serve this country. God bless them. And I appreciate the hell out of each and every damn one of them. Every one of them. So let's let's not say that I'm making light of it, but I'm, I'm certainly questioning the wisdom. And, I, and that includes Trump's wisdom. I know Trump wanted to bring an end to the war. They call it the endless war. So many other did too. And we don't want war. I don't want war. Nobody wants war. I just saw Tulsi Gabbard on TV. Now, I got to admit something. Tulsi Gabbard, when, when she was running for president, when she was in Congress, not my favorite, not because I didn't like, I don't know her. I never met her. But I never liked her politics. That's all. She's an army colonel. She's been through combat. She served and continues to serve this country, not just in the military, but in Congress. And in the military today, she continues. And she continues doing whatever she can. I don't have to agree with her politics. I don't have to agree with, because I, I, I don't see her discussing politics. What she discusses is patriotism. What she talks about is what's important to the survival of this country, to this country getting together and being one. Do I agree that we wanted to get out of Afghanistan? Sure, but we want to get out in an honorable way. We wanted to get out in a way that we could probably sustain some level of force in Afghanistan along with our allies, our NATO allies and any other allies that we can rely on. Now, I'm not in the mix. Do I know how much we can rely on Pakistan or any of the other countries that we, we had to rely on to some degree? It's a tricky business out there, and we know it. But that's why the State Department gets the bucks. That's why we have people that are supposed to know what they're doing, and under Trump, they seem to. Not so much under Biden. It certainly wasn't anybody I could look up to and respect that was in that department that I knew of under Obama. You could question George Bush all you want. I'm a, I'm a fan of George Bush. Did, did every move he make make sense? Nobody, nobody makes every right move. Did I think it was right to go into Iraq? Yeah, I did. Did I question I remember it was, uh, I think it was General Shinseki who said we need 300,000 troops if we're going to maintain some order in Iraq after, after the war, after we go in and get rid of Hussein and take over, we're going to need 300,000 troops. Well, that was probably the right number. That was probably the right thing to do. And we didn't do that. But I know that Trump and uh, I know there's a ton of other people say, oh, we should never have gone in there. That's second Monday morning quarterbacking. And you can do it all you want. But at the time, I agreed with what, Trump, what, uh, what, what President Bush was making his calculations based on. And maybe I'm wrong. It's, it's okay. I'm not going to sit here and pound the table and say I'm right. There's enough people that have different thoughts on it. And I, I, I don't have to agree with them. They don't have to agree with me. But there are things that we do have to agree on. If we're going to be a country, one country under God, indivisible. And those are the things that Tulsi Gabbard talks about. And, and that's why I have come to really respect her. Because it's, it, you, need, you need both sides. 
whether I agree with the other side or not, and I don't. <laughs> I really don't. But sometimes, sometimes some of the things that we do agree on, it's, it's good to find those things. You know, when you, I made a lot of real estate deals in my life. And, and as many as I've made, I mean a lot. You sit there in, in the lawyer's office and you go over the details and you go over all the things you agree on. Then you go over the things you don't agree on and, and you, 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 you're left with where you can compromise and where you can't. What are the deal breakers? And usually out of an you know, maybe 25 or 30 items, you're left with three, sometimes two. Maybe there's four or five, but there's not eight or ten. You, you, don't, you, you don't reach that point where you're ready to make the deal if you've got eight or ten deal breakers on the table. You're, you're too far apart to have all gotten together in one, in one room. So you eliminate all the things you can, what you agree on, what you can compromise on, and then you have your deal breakers. There are certain things as a nation, there are certain things as part of Congress, the 535 people that make up Congress, the 435 members of the House of Representatives, and the 100 senators. There are certain things that are sacrosanct. And those things should not be things that one party can shove down the throat of another party. And that's what's been going on ever since Obamacare. When Nancy Pelosi said that we're going to have to read it to understand it, or, or better yet, we have to vote on it to read it, is what she said. you got to pass it to read it. That was it. I couldn't even remember. It was so bizarre. Such a, 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 a wacky, bizarre thing to say for a leader. Nancy Pelosi's been a leader in this country for a long, long time. And she runs that Democrat Party. And she runs it pretty well. I, I, do I agree with her? I don't agree with anything about her. I, as a matter of fact, I don't like her. I respect her. She does a heck of a job. But I, I don't like her. I don't like her style. I don't like the way she gets things done. And I don't like the fact that it doesn't feel to me like she puts the country first. And that's where I see a difference between her and the Tulsi Gabbard. Tulsi Gabbard, if she was in that position, may get policies passed that I don't like or agree with. But very small chance there are going to be policies that are going to be damaging to America. I don't think she ever would have done anything that would have allowed Nord Stream 2 to get passed in Germany. I don't think she would have allowed the Keystone Pipeline to be scuttled. Now, I could be wrong about that, but it seems to me there are certain things about our survival that are so connected to our energy policies, so connected to things like our response to Islamic terrorism. Tulsi Gabbard calls that spade a spade. She calls it what it is. She talks about Islamic terrorism. She's been in the war, in, the, in combat, in the war on terror. She knows what Islamic terrorists do. And, and she doesn't hesitate to call them out and call out exactly what it is that is, that is motivating them to do what they do. Nor does she hesitate to discuss and talk about the things that they are absolutely motivated to do. And that's why I respect her. I, I haven't heard her. I mean, I, it would be interesting if she was one of the top Democrats running for office, because then her policy, the policy issues, how she felt about it would be exposed. And I'd be anxious to, to hear and see that and hear her discuss and debate that. Now, on things like Meet the Press, here we have, 
Here we have the vice president goes on Meet the Press. <laughs> goes on Meet the Press with Chuck Todd. Chuck Todd is a shill for the Democrat Party. There's no question about that. I don't think anybody questions it, by the way. So I'm not, I'm not throwing rocks at him. That's who he is. And yet he is vice president. <laughs> Unbelievable. Un- unbelievable. Uh, uh, you know, Harris is on there with him, and he, he, of course, brings up the border. You have to bring up the border. How can you not? He brings up the border and asks her what her thoughts are on the crisis. She says, it's not a crisis. The border's under control. And he questions her. I was blown away when I saw that. He said, there's going to be over 2 million illegals coming across that border this year. How do you say that's under control? And then she goes ahead and, 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 and argues that it's under control. And Chuck Todd's just standing there looking at her with his mouth open. I mean, it's amazing. The, 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 the people on their own side. And then, of course, when the border met, you know, the, the, the governors of Texas and Arizona, when they start sending busloads of these, call them migrants, if you want to be whatever, you want to be nice. I don't know if that's being nice, by the way. I don't think that's doing anybody a favor, trying to make it sound more benign than it is. They're busloads of illegal aliens. They could be the nicest people in the world. They're certainly people trying to better their lives, and you got to respect and appreciate that, and, and I do. But they're coming here illegally. We get over a million migrants a year coming here legally, standing in line, filling out papers, waiting years sometimes. I don't even want to go back to the days of Ellis Island and, and all the rest of it. But it's it's not easy and it's not supposed to be easy. And I'm not saying it's easy to walk 500, 1,000 miles, whatever they do from wherever they come from, to get here. But it's illegal. It is not legal. It's criminal to come across this border illegally, period. And so the cities, the border towns have been paying a huge price for the last two years, and they finally said, wait a minute, we're going to start sending some of these people up to cities, especially sanctuary cities like Chicago and New York, and I'm not sure where else they're going. But how about places like Minneapolis, L.A., San Francisco? I don't know. And Washington, D.C., which is obviously shoving it right in the face of the Democrat Party. And the mayors of these cities are panicking. They're panicking. They're talking about suing, calling out the National Guard. They're talking about everything that they can do. But these are the these people are coming into the United States of America. They're not just coming across the border into Texas or Arizona or California. They're coming into the United States of America. And wherever they go, and by the way, this administration was flying them into places like New York's Westchester Airport on a regular basis. What's the difference of flying them into Westchester Airport or, or if... Governor Abbott of Texas puts them on buses and buses them to New York or New Jersey or D.C. or Chicago. I don't see any difference. So why do they look to Governor Abbott as a villain when he's just lightening the load on his own state and saying, okay, if the country, this is the national policy, let the whole nation share in it. But for this vice president to deny that, that's just crazy. So here we have an election coming up. It's a huge election. We just celebrated, didn't celebrate, but we acknowledged, and, and for some of us, it's, it's been tough. The 21st year since the attack by Islamic terrorists on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon 
And then Flight 93 and those heroes that, that swarmed the cockpit after the terrorists took over and denied them their final target, their goal, which everybody believes was either the White House or Congress. And they, they, they ended up crashing the plane into an open field in, Pennsylvania, in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. I've been there. I've been there on several of the 9-11 anniversaries. And um, they, they, they saved God knows how many lives. We just don't know where it would have hit. But if they would have hit the target they were aiming for, it, it, it would have been, it, it could have been thousands. And those heroes on Flight 93, they saved those lives. And, and at the cost of their own. So we look back on that 21 years ago. I remember 21 years after Pearl Harbor. It was 1962. That's the year I joined the Air Force. 1962, 21 years after Pearl Harbor. It was, it was literally a lifetime ago. It was certainly my lifetime ago. I mean, my memories of Pearl Harbor, it was a date. It was something that, you know, we recognized as a, as a, <laughs> a day that, would, would last forever in infamy. And that was Pearl Harbor, the, a, a military attack on a military installation. And there's nothing wrong, right about that. That, that, was, that was dead wrong. There was never a, there wasn't a war that was declared. There was nothing that met any level of human uh, to decency, humanity, the Geneva Accords, the rules of, of engagement, anything. Just the killing of innocents. They were military, but unsuspecting, not in any kind of a declared war situation. And here, you got to take it to the next level. This was civilians, people going to work, people unsuspecting, not even in a war environment. Now, yeah, 1993, they attacked the World Trade Center. They tried to blow it up. There were things that were going on, the USS Cole. There were a lot of things going on that would have or should have indicated that this is something that was being planned. So I get all that, but we need to understand the place where this, where this world is. And when you look at 9-11-2012, the attack on Benghazi, we lost Chris Stevens, who was the ambassador to Libya, Sean Smith, the information officer. Those, those two guys working there, and by the way, Chris Stevens was tortured for hours, tortured. The pain that man went through. Why? Not just because he was a, a, an American who ran the embassy, because he was gay. And that's how these people look at gay people. So when he was asking, and I, I don't remember how many times he sent emails asking for additional, additional security, asking, letting them know that this was coming, that he saw it coming, that it was, it was something that they should be prepared for and they wouldn't prepare for it. I, I don't remember if it was 60 or 600. But even once, how do we allow the Secretary of State, when you have an ambassador to a country who's been pleading for additional security, additional forces, additional aid, because they saw this coming, how do you just have no accountability? How do you allow her to testify in Congress when they ask her why it wasn't provided, why that security wasn't provided, why she didn't respond to Ambassador Stevens. And she says, what difference at this point would it make? Are you kidding me? How do we accept that? And then half the country voted for her? 
whatever the whatever 60 million whatever whatever this is who they vote for it's mind boggling it makes no sense and then they vilify Donald Trump what in the world did Donald Trump do but let me talk about the other two amazing amazing heroes Glenn Doherty and Ty Woods who weren't at that compound who were kind of sort of nearby I think Glenn Doherty was was in Tripoli or someplace that he had to fly there when he heard about what was going on. And these two former Navy SEALs didn't hesitate to jump into the fray, to grab arms, and start to hold off the enemy. I mean, against all odds, it was maybe 15, 16, 20, against hundreds, and, and, and they died, heroes. These, these, this, this Benghazi should not go away. We need to talk about it. We need to, this has got to be part of our history. They could rewrite history all they want. They could rewrite everything from this 1619 thing that, that America was founded when the first slave ship landed on the East Coast. That's their, that's their ticket to ride. That's what they talk about. It's, it's so untrue. It's so bogus. It's, it's, it's just such an insult to the true honest history of this country. And how they get away with it, the New York Times getting behind this, is beyond me, and it should be beyond you. If you're a Democrat, I, I, I'm not talking to people. I, I don't talk to you based on your political leanings. It's just, I talk to patriots. There are patriots of every stripe. There are patriots like Tulsi Gabbard, who's a registered Democrat, who has served in Congress as a Democrat. I'm talking to everybody out there. We need to come together as Americans. There are certain things that we have to see. A president that gets out there and calls me and everyone else that voted for Donald Trump. Well, beyond that, wait a minute. He called every one of us who are white, white supremacists, white nationalists. We are the, 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 the problem with America is white people. And there's not, not, and not, not just the certain white people. He's talking about every white person has white privilege. That's what this president that's what this administration that's what this vice president is talking about they talk about it all the time they don't shy away from it how in the world do you vote for a person like that and how in the world do we who know how dangerous it is who know how insulting it is who know how counter to the best interest of this country that kind of talk is how do we allow people like that? We need to pound the pavements, knock on doors, do what we have to do to get people elected who are counter to that way of thinking. How do you allow somebody who passes a bill and calls it an anti-inflationary or inflation reduction act? It's a lie. It's a lie. I don't know how many Republicans voted for that act. But each and every one of them, if they, if anyone did, should be thrown out. Shouldn't be reelected. Look, I wouldn't, I wouldn't reelect the ones who voted for the infrastructure bill. Not because the infrastructure bill on its own was wrong. It was wrong because less than 10% of the money for that bill is actually going for infrastructure. It was a lie. And when I question people in Congress about it, their answer is, well, they had to because they're in a blue state or they're in a... Are you, you got to stand on your principles. I'm sorry. Politics aside, at some point, you got to stand on your principles. We've allowed the Democrats to say that these bills were passed on a bipartisan basis, as if there were just as many Republicans as Democrats. Just one, 
one person from the other side votes on the bill and suddenly it's bipartisan. <laughs> Politics is such a dirty sport. It really, really is. It's, it, it's, it's horrible. But we have crime in the street. And by the way, when you talk about crime in the street, we, Petrina and I like to watch movies once in a while. And we, we can't find anything. I was talking, my, 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 my both sons are screenwriters. And they write movies. That's what they do for a living. And they do pretty well. And I, I was just talking to one of them today. And I said, man, with what's out there, there's nothing out there that's good. It's, you, you should have a, a free open fire failed. That's just there for you. Man, just write stuff because, you know, we're hungry for new stuff that's decent, that's good. There's nothing coming out. So we watched Dirty Harry the other day. Yeah, I was sitting there, Petrina was flipping through it, and she saw Clint Eastwood. She goes, Dirty Harry, I want to watch that. I said, okay. Dirty Harry was made in 1971. If you saw the beginning of Dirty Harry, where they dedicated to the men and women of the police force in San Francisco who died serving the city of San Diego. Uh, so I'm sorry, the city of San Francisco. It's like, wait a minute. This is what's going on today. And it's exactly what's going on today. The crime, the, the district attorney that allowed the serial killer to get off because, because Dirty Harry didn't collect the evidence in the proper way. Oh, and he threatened the, the serial killer. I mean, you watch how this movie develops in 1971. And you say, what happened? It's been 50 years. So we see what's going on today. And we say, this is all new. And I, I keep on saying, I don't know if this is the worst it's ever been. And then all of a sudden you turn the clock back in, into Dirty Harry 1971. And you see the same thing was going on then. This is what that movie was about for crying out loud. Yeah, well, I, I saw it once in 1971. <laughs> I'm not a, a two-time movie goer. I, I, there's movies I've seen twice. And Clint Eastwood, yep, the good, the bad, and the ugly. My total favorite movie <laughs> but maybe okay so i saw it twice i i, I mean I, i'm not going to see movies twice people go see the godfather countless times i i think i've seen it i think i've seen it once and i'm not sure i saw each episode but anyway whatever i mean i'm going off on a tangent here the point is there's not much that's changed but there are things that have changed the level to which it's become acceptable for the democrats to say that we want to defund the police? Oh, yeah, they're trying to weasel their way out of it now. But you still have Democrat district attorneys who won't prosecute criminals, who have no cash bail. They're letting criminals out of jail with no bail. They lock them up and then they go, OK, go home. Show up uh, show up in a month because you're going to have to go to trial. OK, see ya. And then what do they do? They go out and commit more crimes. And some of them are heinous crimes. Murder, rape. A lot of carjacking. And by the way, the, the, the you know, shoplifting we got so bad, they said, well, let's not make it a crime unless it's over 950 bucks. So theoretically, I could walk into any store I want to walk into, grab anything I want, and walk out. And if it's under $900, somebody tries to arrest me, I <laughs> call my lawyer. Hey, illegal arrest. <laughs> I mean, this is just, this is what's going on. This is reality. This, is, this isn't some... 1984 kind of a book, call it 2022. How many years after 1984? What, 38 years later? And things have, de have de de declined to a level way below what 1984 was, was, was shown to be like by Orson Welles? What, you know, what, what's, 
What, what's going on? It's right here. It's in front of our eyes. They are castrating our children. That's what they're doing. They're doing it in public. They're doing it. They're not hiding it. They're doing it in the name of this gender reassignment surgery. They're, they're, they're giving them blockers to, to block puberty, to block their development as boys or their development as girls. Under, under what guise? Under, under, under the, the agreement of parents? Do they say to the parent, hey, um, your little girl wants to be a boy or your little boy wants to be a girl. This is what we think we should do. Please sign here and agree to this. They're not even going that far. These parents only found out because of COVID, because we, they had to keep the kids home during COVID. And they had homeschool and they, looked, they did the school on their Zoom. And so the parents got to see what was going on in the classroom. Got to hear the teachers, the groomers. It's not just a handful. There's thousands. Even one would be a crime. How many people did Jeffrey Dahmer have to eat before they threw him in prison and threw away the key? How many times does this, this has to happen? Why? Because some doctor, somebody with a medical degree says, oh, it's okay. We're talking about five, six, eight years old, 10, 12-year-olds, 14-year-olds. It's still pedophilia to me. The, the, the legal age for sexual consent is 18. Now, if they made that the age... And they would start grooming people after 18. Okay, well, I think it's ridiculous and weird and strange. But maybe there's a thing out there. And people reach 18 years old. They've struggled for however many years with their sexual identity that they really, they really, really, really want changed. And they're old enough to understand it. They've been through whatever it takes to go through the trials and tribulations of life that make you believe that this is going to be something that's going to be, that's going to make your life better. But not at 5, at 8, 10, 12. No. But this is what's going on. It's going on all around us. And whether it's chemical castration or surgical castration, whether whatever they do to young girls, whatever, I, I, I don't even want to know the process. That process should not be legalized in the United States of America. It's a crime. That's what it is. Now, I, I have the same issues with teaching this critical race theory stuff. Same things. I have the same issues calling just huge swaths of Americans like me racist. It's wrong. I have a, I have a real problem. You, you're telling me I have there's some sort of a white privilege that I've been blessed with? No. I have an American privilege that I've been blessed with. I've been blessed because I was born in the United States of America. And it's up to me to maintain those things about America which make the fact that I was born here and brought up here and lived here and brought up my children here, the things that make that the wonderful, amazing thing it is. And that's why I'm proud to, to be what has been labeled and labeled somewhat by me as a MAGA, a Make America Great Republican. Make America Great again and again and again and do it every day. An American first patriot, a citizen who believes in making our country first, just like George Washington. First in war, first in peace, first in the hearts of his countrymen. That's how some of us feel about Donald Trump. Was George Washington a nice guy? I don't know. I heard he had a mean temper. His, his attack 
from Valley Forge on Christmas Eve against the Hessians, crossing the Potomac and ambushing them. Was that, was that a nice guy? How would, how would the average Democrat today label what George Washington did? First in war, that's what it takes. I'm a fan of King David. I wear a star of David proudly around my neck. I don't wear a star of King Solomon. King Solomon, who was so wise. King Solomon, he's going to split the baby in half so he finds out which, which is the real mother. King Solomon, who basically gave away the temple that his father, King David, fought for. King David, <laughs> King David was a son of a bitch. Man, I'm not going to repeat some of the things he did. Was he a nasty bastard? I don't know if I'd go that far. I got too much love and respect for King David and what he did for my people, what he did for all of us. He paved the way for the birth of Jesus Christ, for crying out loud. You want to look at it that deeply? <laughs> that's, that's King David. <laughs> Can you imagine <laughs> what his text would have looked like? <laughs> Am I comparing Donald Trump to King David? You could compare a lot of people to a lot of people. I've been watching this whole thing with Queen Elizabeth's passing. What a, what a classy, classy queen, woman, person she was. What a life she led. What an exemplary figurehead. Someone to look up to in, in an amazing way. She rode motorcycles. She drove trucks. She was a mechanic. She was in the army. <laughs> she was, what a great leader. I, I, to this day, who knows her politics? Was she a lefty or a righty? I don't know. She was just a great leader. She just set a great example. But there was Winston Churchill. Now, Winston Churchill won World War II, won it for us. He was the strength. If there was any strength behind FDR, it was basically falling apart. And, and, and again, I don't care how you want to look at it. We saw what was going on in the 30s. Maybe the New York Times didn't want to report it. But don't tell me the president of the United States at the time wasn't aware of what was going on. And we were ill-prepared. Rosie the Riveter should have been banging together ships and airplanes and trucks and everything else way before 1941. By 1941, we should have been prepared, at least prepared for the beginnings of, of what became a war. Maybe we, we didn't know exactly what would have happened, but we knew that we were in the midst of a world war and we were ill-prepared. But here comes Winston Churchill. And then how does FDR stand up to Stalin? Well, he really didn't, but FDR did. FDR was an amazing political figure in the 20th century. Absolutely amazing. So what happens? We win the war. And what happens to Winston Churchill? They vote him out. He's gone. <laughs> He's done. Take, take your cigars and get the hell out of here. What? That's exactly right. So yeah, you know, there's no exact comparisons. <laughs> it's, but there's so many examples of no good deed that goes unpunished. So many examples of that. And so many examples of the hypocrisy of the Democrats. That here they're claiming, questioning the last election is a threat to democracy. But they, they question every election. Look at Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams is one of the most visible Democrats in the country, who's now running for governor of Georgia, by the way. She has claimed that her not getting elected in that last election is bogus. She's saying that last election was fixed, just like Trump is saying it. 
She, she's saying the same thing. She should have. She won that election, according to her. And the Democrats question every election. They do exactly what the Republicans were trying to do. What Donald Trump was trying to was trying to do. Donald Trump felt very strongly about it. By the way, so do I. I'm not going to harp on it. I'm not the one who <laughs> that, that, that lost after getting 75 million votes. No, I'm not. The one. I think if I was or you were, you'd be saying and doing the same thing and a lot more. But hey, he's only human after all, huh? Isn't that isn't that a fact? But that's what's going on. We see it. It's right there. It's right in front of our eyes. And you, okay, you could say that. Hey, okay, Donald, come on, let's move on. We got the elections in November. You got a presidential election coming up in two more years. Let's not talk about the past. Okay, I get it. But you got to talk about 2016. You got to talk about the FBI. You got it. Now, are are we going to see nothing but investigation after investigations after November? I don't know. That's a damn good question. Is that what we should see? Are we ever going to resolve what happened in 2016? The surveillance... Of, of Donald Trump. The, he, he said, it, my phones are tapped. Everybody, oh, you can't say that. Are you accusing the, 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 the Obama administration of tapping your phones? Yes, I am. And they said the same thing. And then, yet we know now the Biden, Biden administration tapped his phones. They did it legally. They filed papers. Yeah, they did. That's exactly what happened. That's not bogus. I'm not making that up. That's what happened. And, and but there's no accountability. There's no accountability for anything that goes on today. And the American people are sitting there watching what happened. We're all blaming it on the Republicans. Oh, one of the Republicans going to do something. It's the whole country. It's not just the Republicans. It's all of you. It's all of us. Every one of us. Democrats, Republicans, independents. The, 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 whole, the whole ball of wax. We need, we need to demand accountability. Afghanistan. Afghanistan. What a tragedy to walk out of Afghanistan. A war that we won for 20 years. We accomplished everything we wanted to do. And of course we wanted to get out. But we could have left a small force there. We could have and should have kept Bagram Air Base. We should never have given up over $85 billion of weapons and ammunition. Some of the finest, most advanced weapons on earth. Giving it up, even giving enough of it up for the Russians and the Chinese to take home and copy. Even doing that would have been a travesty. But 85, actually I think the number was close to the 88 billion dollars that we just left. We turned and ran. That's what, that's what Biden did, but that's what we did. That's what we put in the White House. I don't care how he got there. Rigged, stolen, whatever. He got there. He got there. He had his inauguration. We the people accepted that. And I guess we should have. If they were able to lie, steal, and cheat, and whatever they did to get him in there, however the game they wanted to play, if you want to blame big tech, you want to blame big tech, I got Mark Zuckerberg put 400 and what? $419 million into the election. <laughs> you got to laugh if, you, if it's someone saying it's not bogus. But nonetheless, the results, the results. Who shot John? John's dead. You want to sit here and go over who she? Yeah, I'll give it to the cold case people. Maybe they'll find out, and that's fine. I'm not going to spend my days trying to figure it out. He's dead. He's gone. It's over. It's past. It's history. Let's move on. 
What do we do about the next election? What do we do about making sure that it doesn't happen again? What do we do? Because you know what? Screw me once, shame on me. Screw me twice, and boy, they have. And if they do it again, shame on us. Not us, the Republicans. Us, the American people. I don't want the Republicans to do that. I don't want them to steal elections. And you, Democrats, shouldn't want the Democrats to steal elections. That's not good for any of us. It's not good for America. It's not good for the future of the country. It's not the way to set an example for our children. You want the example of Queen Elizabeth. You want the example that's set by somebody that represents royalty in a way that royalty deserves to, re to be represented. Does royalty deserve to be represented like that? That's another good question. For the most part, you look back in history, royalty wasn't exactly <laughs> the, the image that Queen Elizabeth left. But she changed that image. And that's good that she did that. But when you look back at royalty, man, woo! I mean, you, you're talking about some mean-ass MFs, some badasses out there. That's how this planet was settled. That's how the that's how the maps were made by kings and queens and taking over countries, taking over nations, taking over peoples. The Roman Empire, for crying out loud. There's nothing that you want to look at, for the most part, and say, "Yeah, that's we want our our, our leaders to all look like Julius Caesar." <laughs> is is that what we really want? We spend a lot of time reading about these things and studying these things, and we should. So we come to an understanding of, of what, what is the right way for humanity to move forward, to grow, to develop, to discover new things, to create a better world. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Is, is, is Joe Biden the example? Is Joe Biden the example? Now, there are people that are going to argue with me about, is Donald Trump the example? I, I still don't know what it is. What's, what is the burr that got under the saddle of all these Trump haters? What did he do as president? Did he make some mean text? Maybe. I don't know. Did he make a few jokes that I thought were in bad taste? Yeah, that, he did that. But what they said they, that he said in Virginia, he didn't say what they say he said. That's just a lie. What he said coming down the escalator, that these people coming over the border from Mexico, they're sending us the worst. They're sending us the crooks. They're sending us, they're sending us the, the human traffickers. They're sending us the drugs and the drug dealers. He didn't say fentanyl, did he? Maybe he didn't realize how much fentanyl that they're, that they're sending across the border. They make it in China. They send it to Mexico and bring it right across the border. He didn't say that. What he said wasn't racist. What he said was realist. That's what he said. And he was absolutely right on. What are we doing about that now? I'm going to be introducing... Everybody in rolling with New York Mike to someone who's running for the sheriff of San Diego. And I got involved with this because, and I've tried to stay away from be, being in politics. There's a few people that I'm getting behind, just a few. And then I got a call from a, a friend of mine who's just retired from the sheriff's department. And he's telling me about somebody who's running for the sheriff. And I met with him. Woo! Well, my eyes open. There's, there's so much going on. Of course, why do we want the right person in there for sheriff? Right now, the person who's been the undersheriff, I guess she's been there 37 years, is running for office, endorsed by the Democrat Party. And my guy, endorsed by the Republican Party, a 30-year Marine, 
He gets out of the Marine, becomes a San Diego cop. While he's a cop, he goes to law school, gets his law degree, and becomes a prosecutor. Why do I want that person? I want that person because he understands that changes have got to be made. He understands that we need to, we need to prosecute these criminals. We need to keep people in jail. Now, one of the issues that I learned about, and we're going to talk a lot more about this with John when you guys all meet him, and I want you to meet him. By the way, there's a fundraiser for him on Saturday, September 24th at Excalibur Cigars. Come on down. You'll have a good time. Saturday afternoon, 1 o'clock, Excalibur Cigars on Claremont Mesa Boulevard. You, you'll have a good time and you'll meet somebody very important and you'll learn something because I learned something. They talk about jail deaths. Yeah, jail deaths. How many people die in jail? It's a big deal. And you got to remember, it took me a while. I was talking to John for a couple of hours. It took me a while and I, I finally said, wait a minute, do these jail deaths result in lawsuits? Every single one of them. So it's a big deal. What's the answer? The answer to the current administration, to the current sheriff, is reduce the inmates. Have less people in jail, you'll have less jail deaths. Well, that's the same mentality that says have no cash bail. Just let them out in the streets. You've got to prosecute these criminals. You've got to make sure criminals don't commit crimes because they know the price they're going to have to pay if they get caught and when they get caught. But if they know and they calculate, well, look, there's a good chance I won't get caught. And there's a good chance if I do get caught that I'll only get so much. And there's a good chance even if I do get this, I'll get it. I mean, this is what's going on. That's number one. That's what's going on inside the system. And there's a lot more. Believe me, there's a lot more. But from my perspective, I'm saying, listen, we live in a border state. You got Texas, you got Arizona, you got California. We got illegal aliens coming across the border. We got drug dealers and traffickers, human traffickers coming across this border all the time. This is, we see it, we see it in movies every day. We see everything going on. We see the cartels. And by the way, those are not just Mexican cartels. They're not just made out of Mexicans. They're made out of everyone. How many Americans do you think are part of that criminal network? It's, it's, it's huge. And it's something, it's our backyard. This is our backyard. We, we don't have ICE. We don't have the board. That's all federal. The federal government right now, for the last two years and what looks like for the next two years, they're not doing a thing to stop it. It's just more and more and more of these people coming across the border. How many people just escape, just come right through and don't get touched? They're not accounted for at all. We don't even know the numbers. And how many drugs, how much fentanyl is coming through? You know, we've seen that number grow in two years. It's going to continue to grow. That's our backyard. That's why I want a sheriff. I want a new sheriff in town. That's what I want. I want a sheriff that's got the guts to step up and has the wisdom, has the concept of law and order. The difference between people who live an honest life versus people who are criminals. I want a sheriff who differentiates. I want a sheriff that can do that job. So... You're going to meet that guy. You're going to meet him on Rolling with New York Mike next week. And you're, you're also invited to Excalibur on September 24th, Saturday the 24th, 1 in the afternoon. Come on in, meet the new sheriff in town, and let's do something. They say all politics is local. Well, I'm not sure all politics is local, but there definitely some politics is local, and probably a lot of it. And this is one of those things that I think we should all be involved with. So I want to thank you all for listening. September 11th and September 12th.
Let's never forget those dates. Let's never forget the, the crime against America. Let's never forget this government's crime against its own people in Benghazi. Let's never forget the heroes that put their lives on the line. Let's never forget the ones who gave their lives for us. Let's never forget so we never have to repeat it. Thanks for listening. Thanks especially for subscribing. I'm New York Mike. This is Rolling with New York Mike. And thanks for rolling with me. I'm out. Thanks for listening to Rolling with New York Mike. Listen, follow, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts to keep this podcast rolling.